Let's pray. We're going to turn to the Bible. Father, thank you so much that you're among us just now. God, thank you that you're with us. Thank you you speak to us. And thank you for us. Lord, you know everyone who's here. And I pray just now, God, as we gather here and also as we gather across all our services, I pray, God, you'd mightily move among us. Speak to us. As we turn to the Bible, reveal yourself to us. Impact our lives afresh. We invite you to do that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Okay, start with a story. There were two massive, big, I mean really big motorways, huge, well-built motorways. And they were in a cafe for a drink, and they were having a, a, a cappuccino, and in walked this tiny little piece of tarmac, just tiny, walked in, pushed the motorways aside, and demanded a drink. The barista made him a cappuccino, took a little bit of tarmac down the cappuccino, and walked out like he owned the place. And the, and, and the, the barista turned to the, the motorways and said, you guys, you're like huge big motorways, you let that little piece of tarmac treat you like that? And he said, he's no ordinary bit of tarmac. He's a psychopath. (laughs) He's a psychopath. There were two extra strong mints, and they were having a cup of coffee in a a cafe. They were just huge, big, extra strong mints. They were standing there having their cappuccino. In walks this tiny little mint, just tiny. Walks in, pushes the two extra strong mints aside, and demands a cappuccino. The the barista man offers him a cappuccino, downs the cappuccino, walks out like he owns the place. And when he leaves, he turns to the extra strong and says, you guys are extra strong mints. How do you let that little mint treat you like that? He said, listen, that's no extra mint. He's menthol. He's absolutely menthol. Right? Now, okay, well, slightly controversial, Joe, but you can clap if you want. But how on earth does that link in any shape or form to the Bible? But well, what's interesting is I'm going to read you a psalm that has the strangest introduction. It literally is David acting like he's mental. Uh, He's acting like a psychopath in order, and and, and he's acting that way, and then he writes a psalm, okay? You think, are you serious, Pete? Yes, I am. Here's the psalm, Psalm 34, and here's the introduction. Psalm of David's, when he pretended to be insane before Imbimelech, who drove him away, and he left. All right, so let's write a song. (laughs) Verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Say that with me. His praise will always be on my lips. Now, say it like you're making a decision about how you're going to live. One, two, three. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions, the lions grow weak and hungry, and those but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me, 
and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever loves life and desires to see good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Anyone glad about that? But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles. There's a promise, <laughs> okay? The righteous person may have many troubles. Bible does not promise you an easy life. But, anyone glad for a big but right in the middle of the verse? But the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones and not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked and the foes of the righteous will be condemned The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. What is continually on your lips? In this psalm, we see David in the middle of a challenging life saying his praise will always be on my lips. Let me start just by kind of recap, zooming through the psalm and looking at Let's look at God's deliverance. God is a God who delivers people in the most remarkable ways. And we see it all the way through the psalm. Let me just remind you of it. Here we go. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. God wants to deliver you from your fears. In fact, let me just pray that for you just now. Father, I pray for this gathering of people and for those listening to this podcast. In the name of Jesus, God, would you deliver us from our fears? God, those fears which sometimes grip our hearts, some people wake up with a panic, some people have irrational fears. God, we say we will not succumb to our fears, but instead we will trust in you. God delivers you from all your fears. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. God removes your shame. And do you know what the reality is? Many of us, all of us, have lived shameful ways at times but thank God for a grace that removes our shame. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. God wants to give you angelic interventions, miraculous happenings. God has no problem doing that. He still does that. Angelic interventions, miraculous happenings. Um, It says verse 9 to 10, Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You lack no good thing. It's a promise. You fear God's, you will lack no good thing. You know, people say, oh yeah, what's for you won't go past you. Now, typically I wouldn't agree with that. But right here and now, it kind of looks like it's saying that. But people who fear the Lord's, What's for you won't go past you. No good thing will you lack on. God will make sure that every good thing he intends for your life will come into your life. Rest secure. Verse 19, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. God delivers you from your troubles. Verse 20, he protects his bones and not one of them will be broken. This is talking about physical 
protection over your life. And Lord, we're just asking that there would be physical protection and preservation. God, I dare to pray for the, I don't know, 13, 1400 people who are connected on our church database, that as we go into a period of anxiety as a nation, that God, your physical protection will be on our lives. We're, we're daring to ask that there will be 0% death rate in our church and that your preservation will be upon us. We ask that in the name of Jesus. And verse 22, it says, the Lord will rescue his servants. <clears throat> no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Now that tops them all. No condemnation. That's the best of all the benefits. No condemnation. Way back in the early 1900s in America, in the inland prairie areas where there was just lots of farming going on, uh, the, the, the often between towns and cities, there were train tracks. And those, in those days, it was, it was steam locomotives. And it wouldn't be uncommon in those, especially during dry, dry seasons, where sparks flying off from the train would ignite fires on the crops. And on one particular occasion, a farmer was out on his land looking out into the distance, and in the horizon he saw one of these fires that had been sparked from a train coming as like a wall towards him. It was maybe a mile away when he first spotted it, but he knew the wind was blowing it in his direction. So he had to act fast. He knew that his, his property, his own animals, uh, his, his, his own barns were in jeopardy. So he acted fast. He made his own fire, and he set a backfire to his crops. And so by the time the, his own crops were consumed, but by the time the main blaze got to it, it consumed lands and it had no fuel to fuel the fire. And so he, in doing so, he lost his crops, but he managed to save his property and his barns and his animals. As he was out walking after the fire, he was walking around the stubble, kind of mourning over the loss of his crop that year. He, he came across the corpse of a chicken. Who'd, that had been consumed in the fire. And he flipped it over with his feet. And as he did it, out ran from under the chicken about 12 little chicks. And the mother had obviously, in the fire, had covered the chicks and preserved them through the fire. And the good news that we believe as believers is that 2,000 years ago, a fire was consuming the human race called sin and death and Satan. 2,000 years ago on a cross, the only one who's lived without sin, the only one who Satan had no authority over, and the only one who would never have died, chose to die in our place. And if you find your refuge in Him, you will face no condemnation, because He took your condemnation for you on a cross. You literally, your judgment has already passed if you put your ref make Him the refuge of your soul. The one who died and rose again, make him the refuge of your soul. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The question isn't, are you good enough or bad enough? The question is, the only question is, are you in Christ Jesus? That's the only question. And if you take refuge in Christ Jesus, you are not condemned, eternally speaking. And one day when you stand before God, you will be so glad that you made Him your refuge. Let's hear it for Jesus, who is our refuge of our souls.
in this life and in eternity. Now, all of these benefits we see in this psalm, you actually see in the life of David's, all the way through his life. You see these benefits. You see, wow, he had troubles, many of the troubles of the righteous. David had tons of troubles. He had fears. He had threats. And yet, he died in old age. He had angelic interventions all the way through. He had miraculous happenings all through his life. Even when he blew it, he experienced forgiveness in the middle of the shame of his disastrous decisions. And he was not condemned because the Savior who was coming had already saved him. See, it wasn't just his words that delivered him. And he says, his praise shall always be on my lips. It wasn't just the words of David that resulted in him experiencing all these deliverances. It wasn't just the theme of his songs. It was the, it was the entire theme of his life that lines him up for God's interventions in his life. So what was the theme of David's life? Well, to, to answer that, let's just zoom out and look at the context of the psalm. So as we read at the beginning, here's how the psalm starts. Psalm of David's, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. All right? Wow, what's that? Okay, let me take you back to 1 Samuel 21, where it records the history of what happens. That day, David fled from Saul and he went to Achish. Now, just to be understanding this, David was going to be the greatest king Israel ever had, but he wasn't yet king. And the current king hated him and wanted to kill him. David was on the run for his life, hunted like an animal. But the servants of Achish, so he, he fled from Saul, went to Achish, this king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the lands? Isn't this the one they sing, their, sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. While he was there in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. That's just, wow. I mean, unless you're a hipster, you don't get that. I mean, that is a common problem for hipsters, but that's just a very strange thing. And it says, Achish said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. Why would you bring him here? Am I so short of madman, mad men, that you bring this fellow to carry on like this in front of me? That's quite a funny thing to say about his staff. Am I so short of madmen that you bring another one in here? That's the context of the psalm, which is so helpful, because this is the kind of stuff you face every week, right? <sighs> yeah, like this week in front of my boss, I pretended to be nuts, Pete, and here's a psalm for it. I didn't even think the Bible would address that issue. Yes, it's in there. Okay. I mean, it's, it's so like, wow, how can we relate this to our lives? But listen, here's, here's a question. I, as I was reading the Bible, these verses, I was thinking that here's the question that came into my mind. If I was David. And I'd just done that, you know, acted like a crazy guy and managed to escape with my life. What would be going through my mind? If I was going to write a song on the back of that, what would I say? Okay. You know, would have, after faking madness, what, what would be going through? Would I be thinking, that was a real high point of my life? Oh, yeah, really, really proud of that. Make sure that one gets in the Bible, please. That was a good one. That's a good one really proud of my behavior. It's going to be a great example for the generations to come, you know. On a par with David versus Goliath, you know, David and Goliath. That's a great one. David defeated Goliath. All the kids say, oh, I want to be like David's. I mean, on a par with that, when David pretended to be mad, all the kids are going to say, 
as soon as I can grow a beard, I'm so going to do that. I mean, seriously. What would you be thinking coming out of that? Well, here's exactly what was going through David's mind. Verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Now, what does that say about David? Okay, here's what it says about David. He didn't take himself too seriously, but he took God very, very seriously. And that's really important. You see, when he looked like a hero when he killed Goliath, when he looked like a hero, all glory be to God. And when he looked like a fool, all glory be to God. Because even when he killed Goliath, he wasn't doing it for his own glory. Actually, if you read the verses, he was doing it for the sake of the glory of God. David's life just wasn't about him. That's the point. Didn't take himself so seriously, but he took God incredibly seriously. So what's coming out your mouth? It wasn't the saliva out of his mouth that saved him. It was the praise that was the theme of his life that came out of his mouth that saved him. So let me just come into land here with three bits of advice that David gives us. And I'm going to put them in the form of three questions. First question is, what's in your heart? Second question is, what's your prayer? And the third question is, what's coming out of your mouth? So number one, what's in your heart? Verse 11 and verse 18. Come, my children, listen to me. I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. Those who, uh, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Have a fear of the Lord and be brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. You know, if you were to come before a great king, if you had the opportunity to stand before an incredibly powerful king, most likely you would feel apprehension and nervousness and possibly a wholesome sense of fear. You wouldn't be fearful because the king's a bad king. You're just fearful because he's a good king and he has ultimate authority over your life. Fear doesn't infer he's bad. Fear just infers you recognize that he's king. You see, the idea of humility and the fear of the Lord and almost having a brokenness before God, that's humility is not making less of yourself. No, no, it's making more of him. That's what humility is. Humility isn't lowering yourself. Down. No, you, you know where you stand. You might be a great person and yet operating with humility. Humility is just not making more of yourself. Humility is absolutely making more of God. You take him so seriously. He's captivated your heart. And before him, you're humble. And you tremble before him, not because he's bad. He's so good, but because he's God. You see, it wasn't just David's words that delivered him. It was the theme of his entire life that delivered him. He was humble before God. David wasn't just a famous songwriter. The theme of his life was he was a worshiper of God. It just happens that he used the songs to do it. He wasn't so much about the music and the lyrics as he was about the God that he was writing about and singing to. So what's the theme of your life? Do you take yourself too seriously and God pretty light? Or do you take God heavily and yourself pretty light? Are you humble before him? Or do you treat him like common? Or do you tremble before him like a great king? 
Has he captivated your soul? Do you feel a weight when you think about God? What's the theme of your life? Next question is, what's your prayer? Verse 15 and 17, it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them, and he delivers them from all his troubles, from all their troubles. It's like the story of a, a kid one day, sunny sun, Saturday afternoon, and he was out playing in the sandpit in, in the back garden. And uh, he took out with him a box of toy cars, a bucket and a spade. And he sat himself, little toddler, sat himself in the sandpit and starts digging roads for the cars to kind of go around. So as he was working way around digging these roads in the sandpit, he, he struck into a rock. There was a rock right in the middle of the sandpit. So he tried to move the rock, couldn't move it. So he dug around the rock and eventually managed to get his hands on it. And he tried to move the rock. It was so heavy. Managed to get to the edge of the box. He pushed it with his feet to the edge of the box. And then he got it up into the lip of the box. And he was about to push it out of the sandpit, but it just dropped back in again. He just didn't have the strength to move this large rock. Did this several times until eventually he slumped back in the sandpit and started crying. In the middle of this, his dad was watching out the bedroom window, watching him down below. And when he, as soon as he saw him cry, he ran down and a shadow it was cast over and he looked up and there was dad and he said son why didn't you use all the strength that was at your disposal he said dad I did I gave it everything I could I couldn't move the rock out of the sandpit and he said no no you, you didn't use all your strength at your disposal you didn't ask me to help and you need to understand folks that it's not cool just to do life without God God has no problem with you being proactive and getting your sleeves rolled up and being a fixer. No problem. But he has a problem with being seconds. If he's God's, involve him in your life. He has no problem you crying out to him. In fact, it is a way of you telling him, I honor you, that you would involve him in everything, that you would cry out to him as your dad's, as your God, as your king. He wants to intervene for you. So what's your prayer? So what's in your heart? What's in your prayer? And then finally, what's coming out of your mouth? Verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Verse 12 and 13. And this is, this is almost, the, that was the positive statement. Here's the negative version of it. Whoever loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. David understood the power of incredibly good words on your mouth and the damaging effects of negative words and lies on your lips. The Bismarck was Germans, Germany's biggest and greatest battleship. Great. It took actually months and months to build. It was, it was literally the biggest battleship that Germany ever had. But it only managed to sail for nine days. And in 1941, it was, it was eventually sunk. But the way it was defeated, this huge pride of the German Navy was eventually defeated because one small torpedo took out its rudder and it wasn't able to turn or it was stuck in a turning position. So it was going in circles and it was vulnerable. And then the other forces managed to destroy the Bismarck because it took out its rudder. Now in the book of James, James chapter three, he likens your tongue as the rudder of your life. In other words, just like the rudder in a ship sets the course of the ship, so also the words you speak literally set the course of your life. That's what the Bible teaches. 
that's pretty heavy weight. It says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Why is it that our words have so much power literally in setting the course of our life? And the answer is we've been created in the image of God. And how did God create the entire universe? It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, by God's words, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed. God created everything with words. And the Bible says that you and I have been created in the image of a God who creates using words. And when Jesus came into the world, God who in the flesh, he said things like, Lazarus come forth and he walked out the tomb. Or eyes be open and blind eyes were open. In fact, the disciples that followed after Jesus said things like this. Peter the apostle said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus rise and walk. Spoken. It wasn't a prayer. It was a declaration. Your words have power. They activate things. They set the course of your entire life. Interesting, when God was wanting to do a miracle for a man called Abraham, when God had promised him, you're going to have a son. And this prom- Abraham had been living for this, with, for this promise for years and years and years, believing God. But he was about 100 years old. He wasn't getting any younger. And his wife Sarah was barren, and she was old too. But God appeared to him, and the way God brought the miracle to him was by changing the way Abraham was speaking about himself. Genesis 17, verse 5, God said to Abraham, no longer will you be called Abram, A-B-R-A-M, which means exalted father, which was ironic enough as it was. Your name will be Abraham, father of a multitude, for I have made you a father of many nations. So from that point forward, and do you know, within one year of his name being changed, Isaac was born within one year. There is no coincidence. You see, every time that someone said, hey, what's your name? He would say, oh, my name is father of a multitude. Oh, wow. Can I see your kids? <laughs> Hang around. Just give it a few months. But you're walking around with this confession. It's like saying, I am a gold medal winner. Let's see the gold medal. It will happen. Okay? It's like, wow. It's such an audacious claim. But he changed his confession to line up with the promise of God. And if you want to see God's results in your life, you've got to change your confession to line up with the promise of God's found in Scripture. When God promises you something, then don't you go contradicting it and nullifying its power with your words Go agreeing with it. Start saying what God says about yourself. Start saying what God says about your nation. Start saying what God says about your future. Start believing what God says and speaking it out of your mouth. This is what David understood, and this has power. It's like, let me put it this way, life is voice activated. Let me try this. Shh. Hey, Siri. Got one. Got one. Send a text message to Helen. No, no, don't do it. Okay. Go on. People listening to the podcast, they're going to be going off all over the place. So anyway, how funny was that? I managed to get one. But just like phones are voice activated, so also your faith is voice activated. Life is voice activated. Our words, like a rudder, 
set the course of our life. And when our words are yielded to God's, then not death, but life will be in the power of the tongue. Say amen if you agree. David says, I will extol the Lord at all times. Say all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Say always. And how many people know this wasn't David saying this when he was the king he had a palace. Everything was secure. This was David speaking while he was in a wilderness, being hunted like a dog, and yet his praise was to God. He didn't take himself seriously. He took God very seriously. You see, what comes out of your mouth in tough times will determine how you get through those tough times. You know, the very last thing that my mom said before leaving planet Earth, I was 19 at the time, Mum was in her mid-50s, 1996. The last thing out of my mum's mouth, I remember it, and just, just as she was drifting in and out of sleep, and she was under her breath, you could just hear her whispering, oh God, thank you. Jesus, you're amazing. Thank you, God. You are so good. Wow. That was hard times. His praise will continually be on my lips. In good times, praise Him. In bad times, praise Him. He hasn't changed. In times of success, praise Him. In times of failure, you praise Him. He has not changed. In health, praise Him. In sickness, praise Him. It's your way out. In abundance, praise Him. In need, praise Him. He's your source. Praise God. His praise will continually be on my lips. You see, that tells me that David and the people who really have understood praise understood that praise wasn't just an emotion, because sometimes you'll not feel like singing a song, but sometimes you just got to sing a song and engage with worship when it's the last thing you want to do, because He is God. Listen to it. Let me end with this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Oh, thank you for this disease, God. God didn't give it to you. Why are you thanking Him for something? It's not a gift from God. It's a messy thing that happens on planet earth, and sometimes it's the devil. But don't thank God for, for it. Thank God in it. Or, oh, Thank you, I lost my job. God, that's a good one. Cheers for that one, Lord. No. Hey, you might have lost it because you were in Egypt, okay? Or it was the devil, maybe. I would say it was the devil, not you. It couldn't have been you. It was the devil, or it was your boss, or, or the demon-possessed boss, or someone like that. But it doesn't matter. The point is this. Don't give thanks. Don't give thanks for. Give thanks in. In all circumstances. Give that. And this is God's will for you. You want to know God's will? Well, I'm sure it goes a little bit deeper than this, but on a, on a basic level, God's will for your life is this. You go through the hard times, you praise Him. You go through the good times, you praise Him. Pray continually. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstance. Destiny Leith, let's give thanks to God. He's so good, so faithful, so amazing. We love you, God. God, we give thanks in this moment. We give thanks in this circumstance that our nation finds itself in. And God, we give thanks to you, God, the God who is on the throne, solid, consistent, trustworthy. We bless your name that you're with us just now. 
And in a moment, as we're about to go into a time of worship, we thank you, God, that we're going to meet with you. We're going to, and so for some people here today, God, they're, they're just going through tough times. They're not feeling on top of the world. In fact, it took everything for them to come to the service today. They're feeling the challenges in life. But my prayer today, God, is even as we're worshiping, that a song would rise in their hearts, that they wouldn't wait for the emotion. They would rein their emotions in and make a choice to rejoice. I pray, God, that the testimony of our lives would be His praise is continually on our lips. That's what we want to be like that. We want to be like that. So make that choice before Him, church. Make a choice to rejoice. Make a choice to make your life all about Him, not so much about yourself. Take yourself not very seriously, but take God really seriously. Just pray your prayers. Make your own response just now to that psalm. While people are praying, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you're here today and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus as your Savior, I said earlier that when he died on the cross, he took your condemnation. He died in your place so you could be forgiven. The question is, have you made him your refuge? If you've never made God your refuge, then of all times, now is the time. Don't wait another day. Trust in Jesus to be your Savior. So that's you today. And you want Jesus to be your Savior, your refuge then under your breath, just pray this prayer with me, one line at a time. Say, dear Lord God, I thank you so much that you love me. Jesus, thank you you're risen from the dead. Thank you that you conquered death on the cross. You conquered my sin on the cross. And you conquered Satan on the cross. And I give thanks to you that because of you, Jesus, because of your death and resurrection, I can be forgiven. And today I ask you for that total forgiveness. I know that I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I trust in you. I make you my refuge. And from now on, I'm going to follow you. Take first place in my heart and life. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer.